if we haven't met, my name is Ruth. I'm part of the team here at KXC, and we are going to continue in our teaching series called Encounters with Grace. And last week, Pete started, um, started us off in this series looking at specific moments in the earthly ministry of Jesus when it's someone he meets, um, encounters grace, and experiences some form of healing in that moment. And more than that, how these images are, tell us something about what, it, what we are called into. They show us something about the truth of our own identity in Christ. And last week, Pete looked at the idea of being chosen, that we love because he first loved us, that God, in his infinite mercy and grace, reached out to us, met with us, chose us, loved us while we were still far off, and welcomed us home. Today we're going to take this uh, one step further and look at our identity as forgiven. Not only have we been chosen, we have been forgiven. And forgiven in the fullness of that word, which as we'll see means more than just sort of dealing with something that we might have done wrong. It's about reconciliation and redemption. It's about being made right with God. Um, It's about being seen, being known, being loved. And we're going to do it through the passage um, in Luke's gospel, which is an interaction that Jesus has and a parable that he tells that show us something of what forgiveness really means um, and the kind of forgiveness that we are invited into. And the passage is from Luke chapter 7. Um, If you want to turn to it, do. uh, It'll be on the screens. I'm going to read um, it now. So it's Luke 7 from verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Which one of them will love more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Last week, um, Pete used this uh, phrase that stayed, um, that really clocked with me and stayed in my head since then. He said, um, redemption isn't adding value to something worthless, but restoring value to something priceless. 
I don't know if um, Pete made it up uh, or quoted somebody else and stole it from himself, but I'm going to attribute it to him. Uh, Redemption isn't adding value to something worthless, but it is restoring value to something priceless. When I was thinking um, about this phrase, I had this picture of this old piece of silver jewelry or like a small silver trinket. And it was all black and tarnished and it had scratches on it. It was scuffed and dented and dirty. And I saw this craftsman take a polishing cloth and slowly begin to clean this item. The dirt was wiped away. The black grime was cleaned off. And as the goodness of the cloth soaked into it, the scratches were filled in, the dents rubbed out. Something that was already valuable, but had become damaged and broken, totally redeemed, totally restored. And this is what it means to live and to know our identity as forgiven. That we would know ourselves already valuable and precious, priceless even. And through the loving gaze of the Father and the intimate healing work of the Holy Spirit, all of the grime, all that has been damaged and stolen, all the mark, all the pain, all the brokenness would be attended to until we know ourselves fully redeemed, fully restored. The woman in our story knew herself to be a sinner. She knew what it was to be an outcast, to be judged, to be looked down upon and scorned. But she also knew what it was to be loved, to be forgiven, to be held in the gaze of her Savior. And the way that Jesus relates to her, and maybe even more so the way he relates to the Pharisees in the room who are judging her, tell us quite a lot about our identity as forgiven. So picture the scene, if you will. Uh, The Pharisee, this is somebody from the kind of upper echelons of society. He's invited Jesus over for dinner. And the way it was written makes it really clear. Simon, the host, fails to show Jesus just the basic level of respect that somebody would normally expect when they were being invited for a meal. He doesn't offer him water to wash his dirty hands, his dirty feet. He doesn't welcome him properly. He doesn't give him a kiss. He doesn't anoint him with oil. And these guests kind of come in and they take up the sort of customary position. It's a kind of half line, half lie, half um, seated position. And their heads are in the center towards the, um, the food. Feet are kind of out on the edge. Think like a spokes of a wheel. And they're talking and laughing and eating the food. And this woman creeps into this men-only space. And initially, it seems as if she kind of goes undetected. The other guests don't seem to notice her. She comes in, entering a space that she knows she's not allowed in, risking rejection, humiliation, kind of public shaming, but seeking out Jesus. For some reason, she knew she would be welcomed by him. We don't really know what drove her in. We can kind of make some guesses. Probably she'd heard about Jesus. She'd, maybe she'd had an interaction with him in the past. There maybe it had been a moment when he'd been talking about forgiveness and healing and she'd kind of responded and experienced um, grace in some way. Certainly she had heard of him. She'd come into that room seeking him. And she knew, for some reason, she knew that in him, she would find somebody who welcomed her, not rejected her. And as she kneels down behind him, she's overcome with this emotion. Maybe it's a kind of shame that she feels for the sin that she's lived. 
Some people reckon maybe she's just angry at Simon. He's disrespected this person that she respects, and she is she is overwhelmed with sort of righteous anger at the way that Jesus was take was treated. Most likely, her actions are an outpouring. They're this overwhelming response, an act of devotion and worship in response to the forgiveness, love, and healing and redemption that she's already received from Jesus. And she begins to cry, her tears marking his feet, clean tracks in the dirty, dusty feet, her hair loose around her face, another symbol of her sinful life. She gently wipes his feet with it. And she cracks this jar, this alabaster jar that contained an oil, a perfume. And as the jar cracks, the perfume anoints his feet. And it is at that moment, with the sound of her weeping and this sweet, strong smell of fragrance in the air, that the men in the room spot her. And instantly, they judge her. And at this point, Simon, the Pharisee, the host, offers Jesus a choice. He says, if you're really a prophet, then, as kind of people are saying about you, then surely you know what kind of woman this is, and you shouldn't want her touching you and being around you. And if you don't have a problem with this woman, then clearly you can't be the prophet, the rabbi, the the teacher that people have started to believe that you might be. And Jesus answers him um, in a classic kind of Jesus fashion with a parable, with a story. Um, And then afterwards, he turns to his host and he says this. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And in these uh, verses, there are these three symbols, kind of three markers of what it means to know ourselves forgiven, to be of forgiveness that we're going to look at this morning. They're the water for cleansing, a kiss for acceptance, and oil for anointing. But before we look at those three things, I just want to take a couple of moments to make a comment on the idea of forgiveness. Because many of us in this room will be in one of two camps. We will either identify with the woman, kind of chronically aware of our own sinfulness, kind of held in shame, knowing we need a savior. Or we might be like Simon the Pharisee, thinking we're doing pretty well at life. I've not kept all of the obvious commandments. I've not killed anyone recently. I've not stolen anything recently. My life is pretty much together. And I'm not really sure why I need a savior, why I need forgiveness. And I think often the reality is, is that we maybe are a little bit of both at different times, different seasons in life, different moments in the day, depending on what's happening around us. We can be filled both with a kind of arrogant self-righteousness and also racked with shame and doubt. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up and say which one you fall into, maybe later. Uh, But these two positions reflect kind of the idols of our day, and Jesus undercuts both of them. So to the shame-filled woman, he pronounces forgiveness, restoring her to community, lavishing her with love. 
to Simon and to all of the self-righteous Pharisees that he meets throughout the Gospels, he speaks conviction of sin and pronounces judgment. And we swim in a culture that doesn't really know what to do with the idea of sin. And so the idea of needing to be forgiven, it's not just that it doesn't make sense, but to many of us, it would actually seem slightly offensive. But the Bible is really clear Paul writes in Romans 3:23, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." In 1 John we read, "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us." Again, in Romans, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We are, all of us, sinners, We have sinned. We live lives that fall short of the glory of God, that mar the image of God in us. We are caught up in this fallen world. We we focus on ourselves, on the idols of our culture, living in self-righteousness and self-concern. When we live that way, we fall very quickly into the trap of thinking that we don't need a saviour, thinking that we can save ourselves We don't see our own need for for forgiveness, and so we miss the glorious gift that is being offered to us. The Holy Spirit that works in us to bring about conviction of sin and knowledge of our forgiveness. So even now, what the prayer is that the Holy Spirit would come and open the eyes of our heart. That as he shines his light into the darkest corners of our hearts, we would both be aware of our need for saving, aware of our sin, aware of of our fallenness, but also deeply aware that we are forgiven, aware of the forgiveness that we have received from Jesus. So to the three um, markers of a forgiven life, the first one, a water for cleansing. Jesus said to his host, you did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And throughout scripture, water is a symbol of life. It's a symbol of cleansing, of of purification. We descend into the waters of baptism um, as a sort of physical sign of this inner state of forgiveness. Water represents the cleansing of our sin. It's kind of the very, the very essence of forgiveness. I was um, baptized as a baby, um, and I was actually baptized in Juba Cathedral in South Sudan uh, with water from the River Nile, which is a point that will, will be relevant. Um, and then over the following years, I sort of struggled quite a lot with my faith. I, I walked away from my faith at various points. And um, a number of years later, I was working uh, in Uganda, and I was at um, the source of the River Nile that actually starts in Uganda and flows all the way up um, through Sudan and into Egypt. And I was at the source of the River Nile, and some of my friends had been, were being planned to be baptized there. And I was just there so kind of supporting them. And uh, I had planned to be baptized because even though I knew that my life had been a bit of a mess, even though I knew that I was filled with sort of doubts and uncertainty and I'd had this kind of experience of coming back to God, I didn't want to admit that I, that I needed it. I was like, I'm fine. I don't need to be baptized. 
And as I watched my friends kind of being baptized, I had this moment when I felt like, I felt like my heart was going to explode out of my chest. I was so panicked at the idea of not being baptized. And I didn't even like, I didn't have a change of clothes and it was towel with me or anything. But I put my hand up and I said, I think I need to do this too. And as I went down in the water, as I came up out of the water um, in the river, there was this massive clap of thunder. And I just heard really clear the words, it is finished. And even though like nothing dramatically changed in that moment, that experience of going into the water and coming out, what I knew was all of that kind of messing around, all of that like walking away from my faith, all of that had been forgiven. It was done. It was finished. It was the slate was wiped clean. It was a new start. And this encounter with grace changed me. In the story, when it talks about the woman crying, this isn't like the word for like a nice subtle tear that just slowly trickles down the cheek. Like this is the word for sobbing. This woman is weeping. She's wailing over Jesus. And it's this, it's this deep combination of two things. It's this awareness of the sinful life that she has lived and this deep gratitude for the forgiveness that she's received. And as a result, this devotion that pours out of her on the one who set her free. King David writes in Psalm 51, uh, which is written just after he like, does like, his worst sin with Bathsheba. It's like the humongous moment of sin. And after it, David writes these words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And this is what it means to know ourselves as forgiven. The slate is white clean. We're made white as snow, cleansed with the waters of baptism, purified by his blood, set free by his tears. To know ourselves forgiven is to know ourselves cleansed. It is finished. Your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. And so the second thing that happens to Jesus is this kiss. This kiss that is a symbol of acceptance, kind of reconciliation and and restoration. It's an intimate gesture. In the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, we read about this father that is watching and waiting for the return of his wayward son. And we read, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And this phrase, the translation actually means like, like this, this father like leapt on the son, like threw himself on the son and kisses him over and over and over again. Welcoming the son with this, with this kiss is a demonstration of the desire for reconciliation. It was a precursor to the symbols of the restoration that the father was then going to give the son, the best robe for his back, the family ring for his finger. The kiss is the welcome home, not just forgiven, but part of the family. And one of the things that I love about so many of the stories of encounters that we read in the Gospels is that they are often, they seem to be about one thing, but they're also about something else. So they seem to be about healing, but they're also about something else. So the paralyzed man on the mat, he's healed, and then he's told his sins are forgiven. The bleeding woman is healed and then given the name daughter and restored to community. The woman at the well becomes the first evangelist. The crowd following and listening to the teachers, a teaching of Jesus, then get this miraculous lunch. 
The woman caught in adultery is commissioned to a life of freedom. The man born blind is healed and his sins are forgiven and he is welcomed as a disciple. The prodigal son welcomed home and forgiven, not to live as a hired help, but to be restored into sonship, forgiven and healed and restored into community, forgiven and redeemed. And the woman in our story knew something about this, not just forgiven, but intimately known and loved. Jesus tells Simon this parable um, in response to his, to his questioning. And in the parable, these two men have um, debt, one's big, one's small, and they're both forgiven. Both the debts are written off. And uh, Jesus says, which one's going to be most grateful? And Simon says, I suppose the one with the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, you've judged correctly. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. An important thing to note here is this isn't, the story isn't about labeling some sins as kind of worse, worse or bigger, like more difficult to forgive than others. It's, about, it's not about saying that it takes kind of more power to forgive some sins than others. In fact, you can't make a theology about like grading sins from this story. And the irony is, is that if you were to do that, the rest of Scripture and what Jesus says in other passages would conclude that the sins of the Pharisee, pride, self-righteousness, a disregard for the poor and outcast, are worse than the sins of the woman. So what is it that Jesus is meaning? Jesus is talking about her awareness of her sin. This woman lived a life acutely aware of her sinfulness, an outcast of society. Everything about her, from the way that she wore her hair, the way that she dressed, betrayed her life as a sinful woman. And in Jesus, she had found the one person who didn't judge her, who allowed her to come close, not afraid that somehow her presence might like taint him or make him impure. She'd found a saviour who declared over her, your sins are forgiven. This outrageous act of grace, this all-encompassing movement towards redemption creates in her a love and devotion that causes her to fall at Jesus' feet, to weep on his dirty feet and anoint him with kisses. And so perhaps a better translation would be, therefore I tell you, this woman, she is aware of her great sinfulness and of her many sins that have been forgiven. And so she loves much. But the one who isn't aware that they are a sinner deceives themselves and so loves little. The final um, symbol here is oil, this perfume for anointing. And there are two things about this image of oil. One is a symbol of devotion and love. And the other is oil as an image of anointing and empowerment. So devotion and worship. Everything the woman does is this outpouring of worship. She kneels before Jesus. She bows down before him. She's literally pouring out of her this love of him through her tears and through her perfume. Her love is a response to the forgiveness that she's received. And this experience of forgiveness is transformative. She has been changed by this encounter with grace utterly blown away by the forgiveness that she's received. And the only response that she has is to pour herself out in love and devotion. And I think there is an invitation for us to have an encounter with grace that so changes us 
that all we can do in response is to pour ourselves out in worship. The other thing about oil is it is a symbol of anointing and, and empowerment. When David was anointed by oil uh, by the prophet Samuel, it marked him out as the next as the king of Israel. It set him apart. We mark people um, at all sorts of moments to be set apart at confirmations, at baptisms. I was marked by the bishop the other week at my priesting. It's a kind of moment in which we say, this is a significant moment. We're going to mark you by oil. And it's it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit filling and empowering us. And it reminds us that forgiveness doesn't end with us. Our identity is as someone chosen, forgiven, welcomed into the family, made new, redeemed, and restored, but is also as someone anointed to take this love that we have found out into the world, to take that which we've received and give of it, to, to pour it out of us. When Jesus, and when Paul talks about Jesus emptying himself, the word kenosis, it's this emptying, this emptying of ourselves in response to what Jesus has done, that we would pour ourselves out like an offering to Jesus and to the world. And the story is really quite remarkable. And it it kind of reflects this remarkable truth of forgiveness. All have sinned and fallen short. All are welcomed home. All can know forgiveness and have an encounter with grace. Past decisions, past mistakes, past disappointments are not the final verdict on meeting with Jesus. The invitation is to an encounter that changes us, that causes a response to well up within us, to overflow in love and devotion. We're going to have a time of prayer, and then after that, we're going to move into a time of of communion. And communion is this beautiful thing that we do um, to remind us of what we're talking about today, to remind us every time we come up for communion, it is a physical symbol that reminds us that we are forgiven. And when we come up to receive communion, we, we come up with empty hands. We literally put out empty hands to receive the bread and the wine. And it's this profound symbol of what it means to come to the cross. We come with all of our baggage, with all the burdens, with all of our mistakes, with all of the mess of our lives. And we come with empty hands. And we put all of that down in exchange. We get forgiveness. We get grace. We get healing and redemption. And as we receive that, we're charged uh, to be carriers of that same love and grace into the world.